I was starting this piece with Apple thinking about the sort of modestness of their new announcement. And of all the things they announced, I'm like, oh, I think that one was going to create a lot more value for them in terms of margin and actually has a day-to-day impact on me a lot more. Even if I keep the same hardware, I'm going to upgrade that service. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Tuesday, September 26th. Today, I'm talking to Baratunde Thurston about the impressive evolution of the iPhone camera and why Apple's iCloud is actually the streaming service that none of us can do without. We also discuss whether new technology is moving too fast for older people to keep up and whether that knowledge gap between young and old is pulling us further apart. We'll discuss all that and much more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. This podcast is proudly supported by Netflix, presenting The Gentleman. The new series from Guy Ritchie stars Emmy nominee Theo James, Kaya Scodelario, and Daniel Ings. Eddie Horniman, played by Theo James, unexpectedly inherits his father's estate, only to discover it's part of a cannabis empire. And Britain's criminal underworld wants a piece of the operation, forcing Eddie to play the gangsters at their own game. Now available only on Netflix. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Welcome to The Powers That Be. I'm joined today by Baratunde Thurston. We're going to talk about technology, kind of like we often do here. Kind of going to riff a little bit on some, uh, Baratunde, you have some semi-baked opinions (laughs) that have popped in your head lately about technology. I want to talk to you later in the podcast about something I've had thoughts about over, over the years as well, which is where older people and technology meet and the frustrations that emerge from that that we see in everyday life. They meet but, at the genius bar, Peter, but we'll save that yeah, for later. Yes. the We should actually record the second block of this podcast at the genius bar at the Apple store in the, uh, <laughs> in the Santa Monica mall. But first I want to talk to you, speaking of Apple, about iCloud. I mean, this is something that we all kind of take for granted if you own an iPhone. And I think, I think the US is actually in terms of market share, like 50-50 Apple iPhone, maybe 60-40 Apple iPhone. But we, you know, Apple just came out with a new phone. There's like a new update every few months. iCloud, where our pictures, our videos, you know, for some people, music is stored, our apps are stored. We all kind of take that for granted as we flip through iPhones and upgrade over the years. But you wrote about this last week for Puck. And I want to read something out loud here. That yes. You wrote. Read my words to me, sir. I will read your work to our (laughs) cherished listeners. Quote to Baratunde, to help us keep these larger media files in Apple's proprietary and iCloud service, the company added two new storage levels of six terabytes for $30 a month and 12 terabytes for $60 a month. In the context of the conversation about price elasticity at the major streamers, it occurs to me that the most expensive service offering the largest volume of media and the most personalized and sticky bingeable narratives isn't Netflix, Disney Plus, Max, or even Apple TV Plus. 
It's iCloud. I pay Apple every month to stream the stories of me, my family, and friends, and I'll never cancel. This is such a fascinating take because no one, no one's really framed iCloud in the context of the streamers, but you smartly do it because when we read The New Yorker, when we watch Netflix, when we listen to The Powers That Be, when we read a literal text message, we are just consuming a piece of content and they're all competing against each other for our attention at any given time. And my wife, Katie, was on a flight recently. And every time she's on a flight, I always look over, you know what she's doing for at least part of the flight? She's not watching a movie on Delta. She's not watching the the flight tracker, which sociopaths do when they just sit on a flight and watch the also, flight tracker. Also, that plane in the flight tracker is way too big. It is not to scale. Yeah, it's it not is to scale. a third of the size of the continental US. That's a dangerously <laughs> overbuilt uh, aircraft. Uh, yes, that would uh, kill a lot of people if it crashed, not just the people on board. Katie has a habit of, even in airplane mode, just going to her camera roll and kind of going back on pictures, either from the trip we just took or like, In the case of the last time I watched her, just looking back at some of the safari videos we took on our honeymoon, that is a very common behavior. Yeah. How did we get to this place? Uh, Because they kept upgrading our cameras, Peter. That's how. And and those cameras had higher and higher megapixel ratings. The videos went up to 30 frames per second, 60 frames per second, from Mm -hmm. HD to 4K to ProRes. And so we are now our own largest contributors to our media library. A lot of the stuff we shoot for ourselves is better than the stuff we stream to ourselves that we pay for from professionals because we have super computers in our pockets. And uh, we like to share. We like to share. So the idea of once you get locked in, you know, you have your family plan, you have your family albums, you have friends that you share things with after you go out or hang out with them, it becomes a compelling value proposition uh, also, you can think of it as uh, memory kidnapping is, is another way I might phrase it, where you're just like, you're not going to cancel that one. That'll be the last one standing. But with the increased size and ease of production of all this stuff, we've just created a new channel. I was starting this piece with Apple thinking about the sort of modestness of their new announcement. Uh, a few more nits of brightness, a few more megapixels of clarity in the photos, another number added to the series of the processors that they build. And it's all, I'm sure, super, super impressive. But every year, you just can't have a dramatic boost in everything all the time. And this iCloud thing was actually a pretty significant leap for them. And of all the things they announced, I'm like, oh, I think that one was going to create a lot more value for them in terms of margin and actually has a day-to-day impact on me a lot more, even if I keep the same hardware I'm going to upgrade that service. Well, also they keep upgrading the quality of the camera. So they have to expand the capacity (laughs) of iCloud so people can save their photos and videos. But you made an interesting point, which is um, the quality of the camera. I took my Fuji X-T30 with just a standard 30 millimeter lens and a wide angle lens with me on our honeymoon. And we were on Safari. When you're in the back of that safari vehicle, we were in Kruger Park, my iPhone camera uh, was taking incredible video using cinematic mode. You know, if you can get close enough to your subject, I was literally able to do like a rack focus from Katie watching an elephant, like going from like a near focus to a long focus. And the camera just did it automatically. And I ended up using my like real 
DSLR camera like six or seven times and it was fine, but just like the ease of like navigating it. It's just amazing. I, I, you know, I work at Snapchat, like the camera <laughs> is our product, um, but it's just amazing how much this stuff has evolved in the last five years. even. And it's, it's our default and it's killed off by the way, back in the day when we had digital cameras, if you're old millennials, like we are, you know, you would upload that into what were the, what were the brands like Shutterfly and Casa, Flickr, Google photo yeah. And Flickr. And like those things are now basically dead. They're just sort of like zombie networks if they even exist at all. They take an extra step. These phones, you know, this, the camera that's in our phone used to be terrible. It was the most pixelated thing. You really wanted your Canon power shot instead Mm -hmm. of whatever was built into your trio or or what passed for a smartphone back then. And we've, we've crossed over and it is, you know, I remember there was this app called best camera and the thesis Mm. of it was like the best camera is the one that's with you. And it was settling for your smartphone camera because it was with you all the time. We're we're Mm. at the point now where you can look like a better filmmaker than you actually are because of the software. Like it's, it's actually a case where AI is so deeply embedded into our lives, not the creepy misinformation generative version or the one that might threaten jobs, but the one that allows you to take a picture of the night sky without having a steadying tripod to stabilize your shot. The one that lets you rack focus like you're some documentarian on National Geographic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we all just, we just do that. The, my sister-in-law sent a beautiful photo of her daughter that a professional had taken. And I looked at it and I was like, why? Like her photos of her daughter are better. <laughs> no offense to the profession. He had, the, he had a better setup, but the photos that she takes with her iPhone are just better than the one she paid for from this professional who has the booth. And we are in this, this whole zone and we want to protect that. And, and Google does the same on the Android side. I don't know if they have the entire system locking in the same way, but those Pixel phones and those Pixel mm-hmm. cameras are insane what they're able to do. And we just take it in stride. Like, yeah, yeah, it's Tuesday. So what? I I made a short doc today. Next, what else, what did you do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and while mm-hmm. I was waiting in line, I made amazing visual content. And so it was worth for me a pause in this reflecting on Apple. Holy shit, iCloud is amazing. And I'm never gonna let it go, ever. <laughs> so I have a question for you. When you're in the field filming, for America Outdoors, your, your PBS show, and you're out there with the camera crew. What kind of cameras are they using? And do, do they have the similar experience I do when I'm out with my camera crew filming my Snapchat show drink? Um, you know, I go out with like very talented photographers yeah. who, by the way, they take better pictures than I do with my iPhone. But we use multiple different cameras. And sometimes if we need like a cut shot or like a C camera, like I, I can take out my iPhone or take out actually another Android phone that I use for work and just film some stuff to get some cut shots and in edit, like you can just mix that stuff in. I mean, I obviously you're working with like very professional camera crew. Maybe they're not, you know, doing that kind of thing, but I'm just curious, like what the pros think about yeah. the iPhone and, and Android cameras. We have not substituted my shots for pro shots. Mm-hmm. As far as I know, we might've had one or two little moments in, in the first season. I caught a fish, right? At, like we're, we're fishing on the LA river. <laughs> Let me set that context. We'd fly fishing for, for carp on the LA river. And we waited and we waited and there were two cameras on me and on the water and nothing happened. As soon as they left and wrapped, 
I caught a fish <laughs> and I took out my cell phone and I was like, I got to grab this. The American people need to see that I do know how to, and I'm capable of catching a fish. And we did that. And we used kind of that footage. I know we're using on the professional side, a Ronin for some of like the mm. gimbal smooth shots. And then yes. the primary a cam it's something Sony. I've texted my DP to see if he's you know yeah. available to get back to me quickly so we can get super nerdy. But no, we, we're not yet relying on my shots. But I was just looking at some stuff that I shot behind the scenes in cinematic mm -hmm. mode. I was like following a deer and it looked like television. <laughs> and I was, I was following a conversation and kind of jumping between different parties. I'm like, this looks pretty good. The audio doesn't match, you know, someone no. who's laved up and all. Yes. But yeah, we are, we have enabled people uh, with limited talent to look very talented. <laughs> and that's what technology is for. <laughs> yes. No, my last field shoot was for the Iowa State Fair back in August. And the A cam shot of me, uh, and I'm wearing a mic too, that's never, yeah. that's never a smartphone. But, you know, if I was offhandedly taking some video of either candidates or just from random stuff I saw, you know, yeah. in, in the field. And that can be cut into the final edit and to the viewer, it's indistinguishable, generally speaking. But I would, I know we're not yet at the point where it's the the main camera, like that Olivia Rodrigo video that came out and Apple was boasting that, you know, that was filmed entirely on iPhone, even though they had tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars of like equipment and like jib cameras uh, behind yes. the iPhone. Uh, you still need that to make something look really professional. Oh, wait, I got the camera. I got the camera. Oh yeah, what is it? My DP Bo got to me. We were shooting on a, on Sony FX9s and Sony um, A7S3s uh, on okay. a gimbal with a Mavic 3 drone. But whatever those cameras are, I want I want bigger ones. I want better ones for any future seasons of America Outdoors. So if you if you work <laughs> at a camera company and you want to you know donate some gear to public media for the people, find me in the DMs. We're a worthy a worthy cause. Thanks, buddy. When we come back, I want to ask you about the olds and how they use technology. This podcast is proudly supported by Netflix, presenting the new series, The Gentleman. Theo James, Kaya Scodelario, and Daniel Ings star in what the playlist calls an entertaining crime comedy filled with style, panache, and laughs. The Evening Standard raves, the gentleman is peak Guy Ritchie, impossible not to love. Now available only on Netflix. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to The Powers to Be, everybody. I'm talking tech. Baritone Thurston, the theory of tech. Yeah, that's what we should call our, our spinoff podcast. <laughs> we were messaging in Slack before the podcast and you just, you know, we're coming up with ideas to chit chat about. And you, you just mentioned you had some thoughts after traveling so much, especially in the last year, in part for your show, about older people and technology and yeah. how they often come into conflict. I sometimes think it's almost unfair <laughs> to older generations, but what, what's your take on that? And where did you 
come up with this idea? Were you at the airport watching someone trying to check in on like a kiosk <laughs> at, at the American uh, check-in counter? I'm going to see if I can connect Climate Week to this topic. <laughs> we've been you know, talking about Apple this week, and we've just closed out Climate Week New York. And as a part of Apple's announcement, they had this video celebrating their commitment to Mother Earth by embodying Mother Earth and the character played by mm -hmm. uh, Octavia Spencer. And it's like, they want all these kudos and credit. But one of the ways that, you know, any of these companies could do best by the environment is, you know, to help us reuse our existing technology to make things more modular and not have us constantly changing our devices mm. and, and creating more waste and drawing more raw materials from the earth. The, mm. the primary place where I interact with older people and technology is with my in-laws. My own mother passed away a while ago now, 2005, and she was the first gateway. She was also a computer programmer. <laughs> and so she had a bit of a leg up, uh, but even she would ask me to do things for her. Now, mostly it's my father-in-law, and I, I wanna be annoyed with him, but I can't be because he brings up excellent points. And he, you know, we just got a new update to the iPhone operating system and things move. You know, they just, the way you do a thing you've always done, one day it's route A, the next day it's B. And you can't choose to stabilize that. Uh, he was trying to send a message to his daughter. And so he like searched for her name, found her name. There was something called message. He thought it was email, but it was the text message app. And he like texted her email or he emailed her phone number. And he just tapped the choices that were in front of him without changing. And then he gets this mm -hmm. bounce back message. And he's, I'm talking to this guy just last week. And he's like, yeah, I don't want to bother you with this stuff. But I got this message back from some kind of demon. They said it was a, a male, a mailer demon. And, uh, and then it told me to contact the postmaster. <laughs> and I thought, that can't be right. I think I've been hacked. And so like he is in full panic mode that like someone is kind of broken in. He has to call the postmaster general and there's a demon infecting his phone. And I'm just like, yo, my dude, you are not wrong here. None of this is your fault. I am so sorry that they've built these things without consideration or care for you. You know, unless you're, it's like, it's like the most pop cultural thing. Like if you're not up on the latest musician and the latest genres and styles, you take a season off, you're not cool anymore. And, and mm -hmm. what has happened with our basic human interaction is that you have to be cool. You have to be up on the latest and greatest trends to communicate with your daughter. Or mm -hmm. in, in what I saw at Newark airport this past week, I saw an older woman trying to get food. And she had money, you know, she just didn't have the means to operate the QR code through her cell phone to look at the tiny fonts with a shaky hand and navigate all this. And so mm -hmm. she was asking us for help, me and my wife and the woman sitting next to us. And the three of us kind of teamed up to help her and get somebody from the staff over with a tablet. But mm -hmm. it's just like, man, we just don't care. Mm -hmm. um, and we're kind of, we're leaving a ton of folks behind and out of the mix. It's a larger consequence of how we treat older people anyway, but the tech thing and the requirements for just basic participation in society, mm -hmm. I just, I don't hear enough about that. I don't think I think enough about it, but when I interact with my in-laws or a, a random stranger out in public, I feel deeply that we have done something wrong to people. Once we get out of our 
college educated blue bubbles <laughs> and travel around and meet with people from different classes uh, and races and, and clearly <laughs> different ages. Yeah. These are things we notice. And, and this, this is just a, a cultural thing that afflicts the quote unquote elites in, in the, in the media and politics and business and tech. Uh, we do leave people behind. I was thinking about this a lot and I know you've written about crypto and the positive aspects of it, but I was thinking about this a lot during the crypto boom, yeah. especially a couple of years ago. It took even me a while to figure out what the blockchain even is and to even access crypto. There is a ton of friction. Yeah. <laughs> like it takes so it takes a lot of technological savvy and my pessimism about crypto wasn't grounded in the fact that you had these evangelists who sounded kind of goofy sometimes. It was based on the fact that could my grandma figure this out? Right. Could my parents even figure it out? You know, and the answer is no, because like I know a lot of people my age who couldn't figure it out. And I don't know, that that to me was just a a red flag in terms of mass adoption. But I don't know if that's if you have a similar opinion to me, at least on crypto. Yes to the crypto thing. And there's a lot of reasons to be skeptical of it, but assuming that the entire thing was entirely legitimate, the barrier to entry and understanding is ex extraordinarily high, like way too mm -hmm. high. We're, it's like going back to the early internet where you had to hand code a web page, And like, we should be beyond this at, at this point. At Puck, we write about and pod about power. You know, DC, Silicon Valley, Hollywood, New York. Mm -hmm. And a lot of what's happening with power in the country is it's, it's shifting and it's accelerating and it's getting concentrated in certain hands. And to stay relevant, to stay within your capacity to wield power and to, to share it with others and contend for it, there's a requirement, there's a prerequisite to engage with power. And increasingly that is defined by tech. We, you know, Trump's rise is in part a technological shift, right? Tech is moving fast, displacing jobs, people's sense of purpose and belonging. And that's often writ large, globalization, technology, automation. And you think of like mm -hmm. thousands of workers and millions of jobs, but on a basic human level, it comes down to like, can your parents communicate with you? Mm -hmm. And when we, in the name of progress and profit, make it harder for people to connect with each other, we are not making progress at all, right? We're setting ourselves back, we're losing something. And oh, technology just must move forward. Yeah, but it's just a really new dynamic to just cut people out like that. And the digital divide is real. There's, there's been a class issue. There's language issues. There's people with different abilities that have challenges with all this tech stuff too. So I want to acknowledge it's not just because my father-in-law had problems that I care. I'm animated by the second because it was a very recent conversation. But the faster we move up that curve, the greater numbers of people we will cut out of the possibility of contending with and using and sharing power meaningfully. And, and that should concern us all. I would like to be mentioned in the acknowledgements of your forthcoming book about these two subjects we've discussed today, because I think <laughs> you could actually spin a book out of all this, my friend. I have to let you go, Baratende. Thanks for joining me. It's always fun to talk to you about this stuff. Always fun to riff with Peter. Thank you so much and uh, good luck with everything. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. 
follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.